Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Movie Brats. My name is Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? Very well, thank you. And today, uh, to celebrate the start of Oscar season with all these awards-bait movies coming out, we're going to count down our five most anticipated movies for the rest of the year. All of these movies have release dates in the calendar year of 2018. And we're going to count down my five and Jonathan's five. Are you excited about that, Jonathan? <laughs> yes, we should say that we're kind of considering that Oscar season started uh, last uh, week, this previous weekend with A Star is Born. And then next Friday, uh, First Man is coming out. So this is really since the film festivals like Venice, uh, they're starting to actually come out theatrically in the States. So we are going to talk about films that have an official release date there's some that have played at festivals that don't have a release date that won't come out till next year but these are all ones that are definitely as of right now uh, planning on being uh, released in the u.s in 2018 Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna get (laughs) i'm gonna get us started here with my number five which is at eternity's gate which premiered at the venice film festival earlier this year it is directed by julian schnabel and will be released in the u.s on november 16th it is a biopic of Vincent Van Gogh and starring Willem Dafoe as, uh, as Van Gogh. Tell me, why do you say you're a painter? Because I love painting. I have to paint. I've always been a painter. That I know. A born painter? Yes. How do you know? because I can't do anything else, and believe me, I've tried. It was shot on location in southern France, where Van Gogh spent the last few years of his life, and apparently takes a sort of interesting approach to the biopic, not necessarily focusing on his life from start to finish, but a select few moments in his life that Schnabel deemed as uh, worthy of putting on screen. And uh, I I think Julian Schnabel is a very interesting director to be making this movie, as he is... uh, a trained painter himself and became famous as a painter long before he ever started making movies. And uh, I'm a big fan of sort of his uh, his visual style, that distinct sort of vision that Van Gogh had and trying to make the audience sort of see the world as, uh, as Van Gogh saw it. So what do you think about this one? Well, there's a long history of Van Gogh in cinema. You go back to Lust for Life, the Vincent Minnelli film starring Kirk Douglas, And uh, then there's also Robert Altman did a film called Vincent and Theo starring Tim Roth, which was originally a miniseries, and they cut it down to a theatrical film. And then just a few uh, years ago, they had the animated film uh, Loving Vincent, which was the first film to ever use oil paintings for animation and I uh, I, th- I actually thought Loving Vincent was really uh, a beautiful film. I think some people thought it was better animated than the actual film itself the animation and the creation of it was better but i actually 
thoroughly enjoyed the film on its own, but it's also incredibly beautifully made. But yeah, I definitely am interested. I think Willem Dafoe is one of our great actors. He is one of the, probably the number one living actor that has the greatest track record of working with interesting directors. Everyone from Lars von Trier to Martin Scorsese to Oliver Stone to John Waters to Abel Ferreira. And uh, he was in my favorite film of last year, The Florida Project. So uh, I'm always excited to see what he's doing and plus uh you know i did think the diving ball and the uh, butterfly the diving bell and the butterfly was a beautiful film so i i definitely want to see this new one from him it's been a while for since he's had one right yeah it is i think it was 2011 it was muriel which i never actually saw i'm pretty sure that's what it's called I, it was uh, it got really Pinto from a uh, slumdog millionaire <laughs> and yeah not a whole lot of right. interest in that one but yeah, this one's got a really good cast. It's got Rupert Friend as uh, Theo Van Gogh, Van Gogh's brother, and uh, Mads Mikkelsen as a priest who uh, Van Gogh seems to bear his soul to on multiple occasions. And then a really interesting bit of casting is Oscar Isaac as Paul Gauguin, who was sort of a, uh, a partner of Van Gogh's in the sort of art revolution they started in the late 1890s. So yeah, I'm very excited about this one. I had no idea it was coming out until... I saw the trailer a few weeks ago, and I was just like, oh, my God, this looks unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it did play at the New York Film Festival, but it wasn't playing when I was there. But I definitely uh-huh. want to see it. And it's one it seems like will be really good to see on the big screen. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, well, definitely one I want to see in a theater, perhaps of all of my top five. The one that would most demand to be seen in a theater is Luca Guadagnino's remake reinterpretation whatever you want to call it of Suspiria the uh, 1977 Dario Argento film when you dance the dance of another you make yourself in the image of its creator and well they're saying the remake is very different stylistically that the you know the original is very colorful and it has these really it just pops off the screen and they say that the remake is more subdued it has kind of a much different color palette uh but the film stars uh dakota johnson uh tilda swinton who's a goddess and she may or not she may be playing multiple roles they have not said in the press officially that she's playing the old man but it looks pretty clear to me that that's her playing the old man yeah that's a big Uh, bit of internet speculation because it's credited as an actor who doesn't have any other uh listings on his imdb page right Right. But if you look at it, it looks like her uh, as an old man, like she was an old woman in the Grand Budapest Hotel. It's like if you look at the eyes, it really does look like her. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost certain it is. Uh, it also has uh, Chloe Smoretz, Mia Goth, and an act- the star of the original film, Jessica Harper, is in the new one. Oh, um, I didn't know that. The reviews of the film uh, have been 
wildly mixed. There are people that think it's a masterpiece and one of the best horror films in recent years. Other people think it's a uh, just an empty spectacle that it's outrageous and shocking, but there's nothing to it. I am very excited, and I know that I don't want to read too much about it because they say it's quite uh, a visceral, full-on experience. Uh, And it's really fascinating. The director goes from Call Me By Your Name, this tender gay love story, to doing this incredibly graphic and disturbing uh, remake of an Italian horror film. But, you know, that just proves how versatile a director he is. So, this is a film, I have seen the trailer for it, but I'm holding off reading too much about it because I want the full-on experience of seeing this two-and-a-half-hour horror film in theaters, and it comes out just in time for Halloween on October 26th. And that's when it comes to Amazon and theaters simultaneously? I know it comes to theaters, then. I think it might be one that you know will come to Amazon later, okay. but it is an Amazon film. Well, I have a live update about the Tilda Swinton. <laughs> On IMDb currently, she is listed as playing both Madame Blanc and Dr. F- Dr. Joseph Klemper as Lutz Ebersdorf. So, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said this before, but there are a few actors that I think should be allowed to play any person, any race, any gen- gender. I mean, I think Tilda Swinton should be allowed to play Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. She is that versatile. <laughs> she could probably pull it off. Oh, yeah. Right. What's your number So four? for my next one, I have uh, Vice, which is directed by Adam McKay, which is coming out on Christmas Day. Uh, McKay- my birthday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Adam McKay was best known as doing uh, the team-ups with Will Ferrell, like Anchorman and Talladega Nights. Uh, but he sort of broke new ground when he did The Big Short a few years ago, which was a, a very serious movie. But for some reason was still listed in the Golden Globe nominations as a comedy. <laughs> um, so Oh, I, 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 it's a comedy drama. Uh, it was not that funny. I maybe laughed out loud. Maybe one time the entire movie. Most of the time it was just a whole lot of financial jargon. Um, but yeah, he reteams with uh, Christian Bale and Steve Carell, who both appeared in the big short. Uh, Christian Bale will be playing Dick Cheney in a uh, one of his like classic uh, physical transformations. He like put on a ton of weight, and people were making a big deal about how <laughs> ridiculous he looked at uh, the award ceremonies last year. Where he looked really, really fat. And people are like, what's wrong with Christian Bale? And they're like, oh, he's just playing Dick Cheney. That makes sense. And then uh, Amy Adams is playing his wife. And then uh, a bit of casting I didn't realize had happened until the trailer came out a couple weeks ago. Sam Rockwell as George Bush, which I think is a incredible bit of casting. It seems like he's really going to have a lot of fun with that role. What do you say? I want you to be my VP. I want you. You're my vice. Well... George, I, uh, I'm the CEO of a large company. And I have been Secretary of Defense, and I have been White House Chief of Staff. The Vice Presidency is a mostly symbolic job. Uh-huh. However, if we came to a uh, different understanding... This one seems to have a similar sort of tone to The Big Short, where it's got some dark comedy as well as some uh, biting social criticism to it. 
Well, it's interesting. Did you see Oliver Stone's film W that came out while W was still president? Mm -hmm. With Josh Brolin as George Bush? Yeah, I think that film is flawed, but it has some really incredible scenes and performance. I think Josh Brolin was great in the film, but it does look like a brilliant piece of casting with Sam Rockwell as W. And also, uh, you have Tyler Perry playing Colin Powell. Uh Yeah, so we'll see how he does uh, outside of the Medea movies. Oh, well, he's good in both uh, Gone Girl and, well, he's barely in the Star Trek film, but he's he was really good in Gone Girl. I actually still have not seen Gone Girl, which is probably something I should remedy. Yeah, it's it's good trash. I just actually it's saw it. the YouTube clip of when uh, What's-Her-Name kills Neil Patrick Harris, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I people thought I was crazy, but I think of the film as almost like a dark comedy or it gets funnier because it's just so kind of twisted and yeah yeah it's dave it's david fincher doing you know he's taking basically an airport novel and just directing the hell out of it with yeah. great performances and just doing it masterfully it's not so you know i think zodiac is like his masterpiece it's not zodiac or the social network but it's him just having a really good time directing this, you know, trashy paperback book, basically. Yeah, and he also did that with uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, which I actually really liked, but apparently a lot of people did not. I actually think it's better than the Swedish film. I do too. I didn't like the Swedish one, and I think I think uh, this, Rooney Mara Swedish... actually is really good in that role. Yeah, I think the original actress is fantastic in the original films, but I, the problem with the original uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is that it just feels like a two-and-a-half-hour episode of uh, CSI Sweden. It just feels like a, uh extended episode of a standard uh, television procedural, and Fincher made a film. He made a th- real theatrical movie and i feel like the other one was just kind of a tv episode at two and a half hours Mm -hmm. so but anyway i uh yeah vice looks uh i hope it's smart and i mean adam mckay actually is you know even though he started with these really dumb but funny comedies like anchorman he actually is a really intelligent person and even in some of his uh like the other guys he put in some political context. The other guys and... is low key a very, very smart movie and it's actually got a lot of similar sort of themes and uh goals to it as the big short does with the whole sort of like corporate fraud and like the rich people taking everybody's money sort of stuff. Apparently I heard that it was part of a deal he had with the studio that he had to make another Will Ferrell movie to get financing for the big short and he just sort of made a comedy that was almost exactly like the big short. I know he said before that he really admires Armando Inucci, who created The Thick of It and Veep and did the uh, film In the Loop. And I think that he is kind of going along a similar track where he started making these silly comedies, but he's become more political, still doing films that have humor in them to some degree, but he's uh, becoming more overtly political in his film. So yeah, it looks like it's going to have a lot of great performances and uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very interested in seeing that one. I'm interested to see uh, how funny it's going to be because like Dick Cheney is not a funny sort of personality and like his his reign as vice president had some like very serious real world consequences so i don't know i'm interested to see how funny especially christian bale as dick cheney ends up being well it's like when they make the eventual trump film at 
on some to some degree it will be funny because trump is such an idiot and there's so much outrageousness but it's also going to be a horror film because yeah this actually happened and so it's always the balance of showing the absurdity well that's what a great political i don't know if uh vice is going to be considered a satire or a comedy or whether it's just going to you know, accurately portray the absurdity and horror of uh, the Bush years, but we'll see exactly where it falls and what tone it sets, but yeah. it should be very interesting. Yeah. Um, my number four pick is the Palm d'Or winning film from earlier this year, Shoplifters, by the Japanese director, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, uh, Hirokazu Kurita. Um, he directed films such as Afterlife, like Father Like Son and After the Storm. Um, After the Storm was one of my favorite films that uh, that was released in the U.S. a few years ago. He's a pretty prolific director. He's done about a film every year, a year and a half for a number of years. And his films usually come out and they get really good reviews and warm reception, but they kind of get overlooked sometimes because he's so prolific and he makes films that are just slice of life dramas family films relationships but his newest film they say is one of his best and i don't know anything much about the plot besides i assume it's about shoplifters um but they say it's incredibly powerful and it's just a really good example of his type of film and uh I remember after I saw After the Storm, it really stuck with me what one of the one of the critics said that it's one of those movies that after you watch it, it makes you feel like being a better person. So his films are quiet and simple, but they're very powerful, the ones I've seen. So um, I don't know anything about the plot, really, and I don't want to know, but uh, I do definitely want to see it because it's gotten some of the best reviews of the year and it won the top prize at Cannes. So I'm very, very uh, excited about seeing the new film shoplifters. Yeah. I haven't seen any of his stuff, but just looking at the, uh, the plot makes me think it's going to be something like uh, bicycle thieves or something like that. Like very much slice of life and very realistic. Is that how his other stuff sort of is? Yeah. It's just very simple, but it has a deep humanity to it. And it's interesting that his previous one, he's already had one film come out in the U.S. this year called, I think, The Third Murderer. It's a crime drama, courtroom drama. So it was kind of a little bit of a change for him, but he's done films that are kind of light comedies or family dramas. But he's a he's a really masterful director, and he's one of those that I think people almost – uh, underrate, even though his films usually get really good reviews, he's just so consistently good that it's just like, oh yeah, he has another wonderful film coming out. But I was really glad that they have, they finally gave him a top prize at Cannes for his new film, and I hope it's uh, as good as the critics say. Shoplifters. Yeah, it's got a ridiculous rating on Metacritic right now. Um, so my uh, number three is Widows, which is directed by Steve McQueen, the director of Hunger, Shame, and the Oscar-winning 12 Years a Slave. And this is his first movie since 12 Years a Slave, which I think was 2012 or 2013, I think. Um, five years ago? Yeah, five years ago. And this seems like a huge sort of change-up to his previous three movies, which were all sort of meditative. Not fun at all. Not <laughs> fun at all. Very slow burn, can be very difficult to watch at times. I remember I watched Hunger on my laptop uh, my freshman year of college, and my roommate was trying to take a nap, and 
<laughs> it was just like this is the most struggle I've ever had trying to fall asleep, just listening to this guy like starve himself to death in a prison cell. Um, it's it's really wrong, but I have seen all three films of Steve McQueen with my mother, so that means I saw Shame with my mother in theaters. And for those of you who don't know, Shame is about a sex addict in Michael Fassbender. It's rated in C-17. Yeah, it's rated in C-17. The film opens with him coming out with his dick swinging up, you know. But, yeah, I I, I saw that with my mom. I also saw Hunger. I think Hunger is an incredible film. I think it's his best film. I think it is, too. It's got a really incredible... uh, like 12 minute unbroken shot where it's just Michael Fassbender talking about sort of his motivations for uh, his character's hunger strike with a priest played by Liam Cunningham. And it's like one of the most mesmerizing scenes I've ever watched. Um, Because you don't almost notice until you get into it that the camera is very, very slowly uh, moving closer and closer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things you don't notice it's going on for so long until like 10 minutes in you are like, holy shit, this is still going on. Um, But like for the whole time, and Hunger's got some, like, it's very, very slow. And so is Shame, and so is 12 Years a Slave to an extent. Um, but this one seems like a really big change-up for him. It's a, uh, the plot of it is that four armed robbers are killed in a failed heist, and their widows have to uh, finish the job when they're being threatened by uh, some nefarious types about paying a debt that their husbands owed. You have no idea, do you? Or did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. (laughs) And it's actually based on a British TV series from the 1980s. And it's uh, starring... Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, and Cynthia Arrivo, who I don't know too much about, but she's actually also appearing in Bad Times at El Royale, which comes out uh, this weekend, so it seems like she might be on the uh, point of having a really big break. Uh, but they star as the Widows, and then it also includes uh, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, and then uh, Jackie Weaver, Carrie Coon, Robert Duvall, Liam Neeson, and uh, John Bernthal are actually playing two of the husbands. So a really all-star cast. But uh, I'm very interested to see how Steve McQueen does a sort of a more mainstream and action-oriented movie than, uh, than his previous three, which were about as far from mainstream as you could possibly be. And it's written by McQueen and Gillian Flynn, who wrote the novel uh, we were talking about, Gone Girl, earlier. Connection. That wasn't a total (laughs) unrelated tangent to everything. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I I mean, it's a film that I think some people will maybe underrate because, oh, it's him having fun. It's him doing a crime thriller. But I've heard it has, you know, some political themes and some social justice and you know things of that sort it's commenting on it's not just an empty spectacle so i mean you can't do better than that cast i mean my god it's it really is ridiculous i was just reading it out and i was like holy shit i forgot about like half of these people this is just unbelievable like carrie coon a lot of people may not know her but she's been uh, she was in the leftovers and season three of fargo 
And I think she's one she of the, like a uh, gone girl. She's yeah. a gone girl. <laughs> okay. I'm really good. But probably one of the more underrated actresses out there who hasn't gotten a ton of exposure, but is definitely uh, deserving of being in a big movie like this. It's weird that it's one of those films that has so many Oscar winners and nominees and the trailer goes Oscar winner, Viola Davis, Oscar winner. But then it has and Liam Neeson, but Liam Neeson was nominated for an Oscar. I don't know why it doesn't include him. They, for, <laughs> it, you know, just let's let's just forget Schindler's List. You know, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. But uh, yeah, when does this one come out? Uh, November 16th. So uh, a little bit from now, but that's right in the middle of the sort of Oscar season. So I would be surprised if this got a Best Picture nomination just because it seems a little bit more uh, sort of commercial fare. But Steve McQueen won Best Picture for 12 Years a Slave, so they might uh, they might nominate it based on his sort of prestige alone. It could quite possibly get some acting nominations, but I've seen a number of uh, people making predictions saying that it's in the running for sure for Best Picture nomination. Okay. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, the Oscars are st- – the Oscars are stupid and don't matter at all, but it's interesting and fun I to still guess. enjoy them. Oh, I always watch them. I didn't <laughs> watch the last awards show that, what was it, the Emmys or the, uh, the Emmys was recently. I, oh, didn't yeah, watch I don't that. care I, about that at all. There are just I too turned, many categories. They turn, I turned on and saw Betty White talk, and then I saw Ryan Murphy win Best Director over David Lynch for Twin Peaks, and I just was like, no more. This is that's the most disgusting thing ever. I mean, I'm not saying Ryan Murphy isn't incredibly talented, but for him to win Best Director over what is the greatest directing ever in the history of television with David Lynch doing Twin Peaks, it's like award shows are so stupid. And that sounds but like it could it, be hyperbole, but like I fully back that up. That that's just about the best anyone's ever done on TV. If Twin Peaks didn't I, win every category it was nominated for, then the uh, the award show isn't worth anything. Kyle, Mac- Kyle McLaughlin wasn't nominated even, and it didn't win any awards, I don't think. That's really ridiculous. Yeah, I know. It's – it's yeah, it's it, – yeah, everything's terrible. Okay, so <laughs> uh, my third pick is Roma, the new film by Alfonso Cuaron. It's interesting – connection because it's also his first film since 2013 uh gravity and 12 years of slave were uh, neck and neck for winning best picture and he won best director for gravity mm-hmm. and uh, mcqueen's film won uh, best picture mm-hmm. but his new film uh Karan's new film uh roma is going to be released on december 14th on netflix and in theaters and it um has gotten just absolute critical praise uh guillermo del toro just came out and said it's one of his five favorite films ever made um and it's a black and white film that is definitely a change of pace from harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban children of men and gravity because it's going back to more of his itumama tambien territory with a slice of life film and they say that it's just breathtaking and it's balances the intimate and the grandiose the you know it's a beautiful beautiful film to look at but it's a very small film it's a a spanish language it's his first uh foreign language film in a number of years i think since itumama tambien but i think that's right just 
everyone's saying that you really need to see it in the theater and that it's real shame that a lot of people are only going to see it on Netflix. So I absolutely can't wait to see this. It's, they say it's just stunning. And the, they also say that the audio, the, the what he does with sound in the film is really impressive, uh, kind of the listening to people and how the connection is made between characters and the surroundings. I, I don't know exactly what they're saying, but they say that the it has some really inventive and artistic use of sound, even though it's not like a big spectacle film like Gravity, but they say that it's a real technical marvel as well as being a beautiful slice-of-life film. So that's one I'm incredibly uh, anxious to see. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to see him because uh, Eat to Mama Tambien is uh, sort of his breakout movie. And he really sort of got away from that and uh, made a lot more big budget stuff. Like obviously Prisoner of Azkaban is about as commercial and mainstream as you can possibly get. And then, but still, uh, I think the, the best of the series. I agree completely, yeah. But like a Harry Potter movie, like a big franchise movie, seems like sort of a weird uh, uh, way for someone who made Itumama Tambien to go. And then Gravity, which I really love, but you know, starring Sandra Bullock and George Clooney, like huge movie stars. So to get back to something a little more personal, after being exposed to making stuff like Gravity in a Harry Potter movie, it'll be very interesting to see how he how he goes back to making something a little more low-key. Well, I remember he said after making Gravity, after the years and years of making the special effects and coming up with some of the technology, he said, I want to do a movie where people are sitting and walking. No no floating, no space. He wants something where it's literally grounded. So he went and made a black and white Spanish language film. And I'm, I'm very happy that he did exactly what he wanted. And I hope that people go to see it. I hope it doesn't scare people off that it's in black and white and, yeah. and uh, with subtitles. Yeah. So my next one is actually another Netflix movie. So it's showing uh, Netflix flexing its creative muscles a little bit here. That is The Ballad of Buster Scruggs which is the next Coen Brothers movie. People are so easily distracted. So I'm the distractor with a little story. People can't get enough of them because, well, they connect the stories to themselves, I suppose. And we all love hearing about ourselves. So long as the people in the stories are us... But not us. And it uh, will be released on Netflix on November 16th. And it's apparently going to have a theatrical run before that. But we'll see how that actually ends up going. But uh, this was originally conceived as a TV show. And that's how it was announced to the public. And that's what we were all thought it was going to be until maybe like a couple months ago. When they said, oh yeah, it's going to actually be a movie. Because we like making movies much better than we make <laughs> TV shows. But it's still going to have a sort of... Uh, uh, and anthology. Feel. <laughs> that's yeah. what I was gonna look for. Yeah, it's in six parts apparently, and the six parts are semi-related, but apparently there's not too much crossover in terms of the characters in them. Yeah, and the kind of connective tissue is a character played by Tim Blake Nelson, who's been in um, his their film of Brother Where Art Thou. Mm -hmm. And he is playing a Buster Scruggs, who's some sort of mythical gunslinger in the old west. Um, but yeah, this one is going to be starring uh, Tim Blake Nelson, as Jonathan mentioned, and then James Franco, who this, I believe, is his first appearance in a uh, in a Coen Brothers movie. And then uh, I think so. Liam Neeson, Tom Waits, Zoe Kazan, and Brendan Gleeson. So a sort of eclectic cast. 
But uh, yeah, I'm really excited that the Coen brothers are actually making like a straight up Western movie. Because a lot of their movies have been influenced by Westerns. Like some people say No No Country for Old Men is a Western. I don't really think it is. I don't think just because something is set in Texas that that doesn't make it a Western. And uh, but stuff like Blood Simple and even like Miller's Crossing have some sort of elements of westerns in them. So I'm very excited to see them make a straight up western, sort of like how a lot of Quentin Tarantino stuff had western elements, and then he went and made a western in The Hateful Eight, which I didn't like, but it was cool to see him make an actual western. Well, they made True Grit though. Oh, you're right. I completely forgot about True Grit, which is about as much of a western as you can possibly be. But that was a remake. And uh, or I'll say a readaptation of the original novel because it actually is a little bit different. But yeah, I look like an idiot because well, I totally just forgot True origi- Grit. Their first, their first original western. Yeah, exactly. True Grit is a great western. A really good performance oh, yeah. by Jeff Bridges, and also uh, it- got a. I was gonna say <laughs> Josh Brolin, but Josh Brolin is not in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> well, he know oh, he's in True Grit though. He is in True Grit. Yeah. Well, um, and uh, Haley Steinfeld was a real breakthrough in True Grit. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to I mean, the Coen brothers are in my top five favorite living directors. And it's like they have a new film. I want to see it. I don't need to know the plot, the cast. I don't need to know anything about it. The reviews. I've read some reviews that say that there are segments of it that don't work so well. And then there are other ones that are as funny and as dark and as wonderfully weird as anything they've ever done. So they say it's kind of hit or miss, like a lot of anthology films, but they say that the ones that work are some of the best stuff they've ever done. Yeah. So it's just, People said that about Hail Caesar, but I loved every minute of Hail Caesar. I think at this oh, point, just whatever the Coen brothers do, I'm going to like it. People, I think, tend to overthink it. They're like, oh, you know, this isn't like all of No Country for Old Men, which like every second of it is perfect, but just like... I don't know, accept what they give you because it's going to be good and it's better than 99% of the rest of the stuff everybody's making. Well, I think Hail Caesar is a very minor film, but still it's like four out of five stars. It's really I think it's five out of five. <laughs> I love it. Oh, no. It, it's like they've made about 16 films. It's like their 14th best. I know, but that's what like is crazy about the Coen brothers. I think pretty much all of their movies are like five out of five, except for like maybe two or three. Like Intolerable Cruelty and the Lady Killers. Everything else, though, is just like absolute classic. Well, I think that about 10 of their films are right about five stars or four and a half out of five. I think Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Barton Fink. I love A Serious Man. That is mm. such a brilliant, dark. That, yeah, I love how one critic said that, you know, they made A Serious Man uh, after No Country and they said that. In its own way, even though it's a comedy, a serious man might be even more bleak than No Country. But um, yeah, I, I've, I'm very excited to see uh, their new film, which I don't want to watch the trailer for because it's just one of the the Coen Brothers are some of those filmmakers that I just I know I want to see it, so I don't need to know about it. I just want to see it. But um, my uh, second one is by a director named Chang Dong Lee. It's his new film, Burning, which premiered at Cannes earlier this year and got incredible reviews. Um, The director did films like Secret Sunshine and Poetry, which was my favorite film released in the U.S. in 2011. 
and this film is going to be released uh, in limited release uh, in the U.S. on, on October 26th. Um, it's kind of a mystery film, and it stars Steven Yeun that uh, played on The Walking Dead and was in Okja. But uh, I don't really know too much about this film because I know it's a mystery and I don't want to know about the plot. But it's based on a short story, and people and critics are saying that it's a very gripping and powerful film and that it manages to take kind of mystery and uh you know elements of kind of genre you know but it does it in a really incredible way so it's i know i'm excited for it but i don't really know what it's about but it's just because i thought poetry was such an uh, a beautiful you know just it's just a wonderful film if you haven't seen poetry uh it's really one of the best films of the decade um it actually would beat my uh tree of life was my second favorite film that year poetry was my favorite so and this is his first film since then and poetry uh, actually premiered at Cannes in 2010 where he won uh best screenplay so this is his first film in eight years uh burning so uh like i said don't know too much about it but uh i think that his based on his previous film and the critical reception of the new one i'm very excited to see uh, Burning, which comes out October 26. Yeah, I have not seen Poetry, the previous movie, but to say anything is better than Tree of Life is ridiculously high praise because I think that's one of the best movies of the century so far. Well, it's one of these weird things where if I were ranking my favorite films of the decade, I would rank The Tree of Life higher, but the year Poetry came out, I think... It's like The Tree of Life is a flawed film. I don't think it's perfect. So like I put poetry as my favorite, but it's like going at the looking at the whole decade, I would put tree I know it kind of doesn't make sense, but you know where I'm coming <laughs> I from. I know what then. you're coming from. Like right after you yeah. saw it, you had a it like you responded to it in a more positive way than with Tree of Life, which could be a little bit befuddling, especially on first viewing. Yeah. Oh yeah, the first time I saw Tree of Life, I was like Okay, you know, I was like Clark Griswold looking at uh, the the Grand Canyon. He's like nodding his head upside, you know, and looking up and down. Is like, uh huh, yeah. He doesn't really know what to say. But... <laughs> You're like, okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, it's just one of those where, based on the one film I've seen of his, I need to go back and watch his other stuff. The Secret Sunshine's in the Criterion Collection, but um, I definitely want to see this new one and the fact that he's doing kind of a mystery film is cool because his other films have been very kind of slice of life. But um, yeah, so, so far uh, three of my films uh, are foreign language and actually all five of mine are by foreign directors. Some of them are English language, but uh, I won't give away my number one yet, but what is your number one Carter? Uh, my number one most anticipated movie of 2018 and this has been and you case. won't have and you won't have to wait too long because... i will not it comes out this weekend october 12th the movie is first man directed by damien chazelle the director of la la land and whiplash uh this one stars ryan gosling as neil armstrong and it uh sort of traces the development of the apollo space program from 1961 when uh john f kennedy said that we will make it to the moon by the end of the decade and sort of follows its journey until that uh that triumphant uh <laughs> for america at least landing on the moon in uh, 1969 i see the moon the moon 
tree. The vehicle's not safe. We need to fail. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. Please let the light that shines on me. Neil, everyone's in agreement. We'd like you to command. Shine on the one I love. And it's got an incredible cast with... Uh, Claire Foy, who played Elizabeth II in The Crown and won a whole bunch of Emmys for that or a whole bunch of awards in general for that and is sort of breaking into movies right now. And then uh, Corey Stoll from House of Cards is playing Buzz Aldrin in uh, a performance which apparently has uh, drawn some criticism from Buzz Aldrin himself, but I think that just means that it's very accurate and he, uh, he doesn't like the way that it uh, shows a side of himself he doesn't want the public to see. And then it's got uh, Shea Wiggum from Boardwalk Empire is playing Gus Grissom in it, and uh, Kyle Chandler. Yeah, he's one of the, he's he's one of those actors you like look at his IMDb and he was like he was in like three of the Oscar best pictures that year and he's in this it's like you forget he's like in every movie. Oh yeah, he's just got yeah, like there's... one of those faces where he like fits into any time period. Like he was in Boardwalk Empire where he plays uh, Steve Buscemi's brother and. A TV show I really like, but not a lot of people have seen. But he just like fits into any time period you could possibly think of. Like he was in, uh, uh he was in American Hustle and uh, Wolf of Wall Street in 2013, in like sort of minor roles, but just like he pops up in like the craziest sort of stuff. He's in Skong, uh, Kong Skull Island. He was in the third season of Fargo. He's in Agent Carter. He was in True Detective. He was in Silver Linings Playbook, Fast and Furious 6, uh, Take Shelter is an amazing film. He was in Machete. It's just like you look at his IMDb and like I don't remember him being in all of those, but he's just – yeah, he's really – yeah, there's certain actors that you just look back at their careers and you go, wait, they were in all these movies I didn't even remember. Yeah. I mean, his part in Wolf of Wall Street is literally, like, two minutes. <laughs> like, it's just, like, one of those ones where I bet he, like, volunteered day of, like, hell yeah, I'll be in that. That sounds like a great opportunity. Well, it's also, like, that actor, what's, how do you pronounce it, Domino Gleason. Donal. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he was in, like, within, like, a year and a half, he was in Unbroken, Ex Machina, Brooklyn, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and The Revenant. Also, Never Let Me Go, a very underrated movie. Oh, yeah, that was a little earlier, though. Yeah, yeah. And, but, yeah, it's just, like, crazy. There's certain actors. And, like, the other one, um, the actor that often plays uh, villains, he was in um, the newest Spielberg film, uh, Ready Player One. Do you know the actor I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, yeah, That's... yeah, yeah. Who was in Animal Kingdom. It's, um... Oh, I have it right here. Uh, ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn, yeah. He's one yeah. of those actors. Yeah, I mean, he's in... He was in the Dark, Dark Knight, Knight Rises. yeah. <laughs> He's in Mississippi Grind, Slow West. He's in uh, Killing Them Softly, The Place Beyond the Pines, Star Animal Wars Kingdom, Rogue One, Australia, and The New World. I don't remember him being in. It's oh like, yeah, I remember him in The New World. The New World's got a whole lot of random people in it. Yeah, but yeah, there's certain act. He's in the new Nicole Holmes Center film that's on Netflix, The Land of Steady uh, Habits. Uh, steady habits uh yeah it's just one of, you know there's certain actors that they're like in every movie like they they're in they're, you know they're supporting actors like great character actors yeah. they just but, like uh, fit in anyway. like anything you could put it but yeah to return yeah. to first man <laughs> i go crazy about space movies like uh, apollo 13 and gravity and the right stuff which apparently is a major influence on this one is one of my favorite movies ever made which has sort of been uh forgotten since it came out in the early 1980s 
But yeah, Damon Damien Trazel, I think, is very much two for two in his uh, two movies he's directed so far, Whiplash and La La Land. I know Jonathan will tend to disagree with me about the merits of La La Land, but I think we can all agree that Whiplash is one of the best movies to come out in the last uh, five or six years. Yeah, Whiplash was my favorite film of that year. La La Land, we don't need to argue about La La Land, but that's a movie that so many people that I talked to, regular people, they either disliked it or they just were like, eh, they shrugged. Like, it was one of the three best-reviewed films of that year, and it's beautifully made, but it's just... I think it's just kind of empty. It, there's no, no, there's no substance to it. It's just really beautifully made and has good performances. But I had no emotional attachment to it. I just would. I sat at a distance and went, "Oh, that's a really pretty shot. Oh, this production design's really incredible. Emma Stone's really charming." And that, but I, it never went on beyond that. I just sat there admiring it, but I never connected at all emotionally to it. Even though I do think the best thing about the film is the ending. The ending sequence is really incredible. The like 10 minute musical sequence where it sort of wraps up the different uh, way their lives could have gone. I don't know. I, well, well, it hits me at a, well, a very emotional level. That may not do for everybody. But I saw that movie four times in theaters. I thought it was just incredible. Well, I got to tell you the story about why La La Land is the most terrifying theater experience I've ever had. I went to see it after I finished uh, the semester at NYU. And I went to the Regal Union Square uh, Cinema. And it was a pretty packed uh, screening. It was in the you know early evening, and there was about two and a half minutes until the end credits. And this guy wandered into the theater and he started talking out loud. He wasn't shouting and he wasn't mumbling. He was just talking at normal volume, and he just started stream of consciousness, just blabbering. And he would go like, "Oh, Emma Stone, I really like her." He just started rambling. And he's standing right next to my seat, and I was like, kind of being annoyed because there's this emotional ending to the film. And the guy ended up walking to the front of the theater, and it looked like he had a McDonald's cup in his hand. And he just held it up to the screen, and all of a sudden, everyone just started running out of the theater, like, oh my God, he has a gun. And for about a minute and a half, it was the most terrifying minute and a half of my life because I thought I was going to die. Everyone just ran out of the theater in about 10 seconds and there was a pregnant woman that fell and got stampeded oh my and God. then we ran out into the lobby and like there was no noise nothing was happening and we called the management and they were like everyone ran out of the theater because this guy wandered in and i mean probably someone just freaked out and started running and it yeah. started a chain reaction but it was so bad because the people at the theater had like no idea how to react to it they yeah. you know they called the police and like before the police came in there like they the people asked can we go in and get our coats we left and they're like yeah and i'm like he could have put a bomb in there wait till the police <laughs> come it was like they just they let people just wander back into the theater but so even and i did go to a later screening that was like started 45 minutes later and saw the last scene and stayed through the end credits so you know i don't think you know, La La Land being the most terrifying theater experience in my life, you know, changed what I thought about the film because it was really only the last, like literally like last two and a half minutes that this happened. But uh, anyway, that I do think it's funny that that's, you know, it's not like some really intense horror <laughs> film or some, oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's La La Land is the most terrifying theater experience in my life because I thought I was going to die. And I, I would really have been sad if I had died seeing La La Land. <laughs> oh, man. You're just really short selling it. <laughs> I actually saw it at that same theater for the first time. Me and my dad saw it opening night when he came up to visit me. 
And I, I love that movie. I've watched it a bunch of times since I've since it came out on DVD. I saw it four times in theaters. I, I don't, I'm a why defender you, of La La Land. Well, what do you think it is that it was one of the three best reviewed films of the year? But I mean, haven't you heard a number of people that were just like, eh? Uh, I don't know. I haven't many... seen too many people that have had that sort of reaction to it. A lot of people I know really like it. Um, the the big thing people sort of complained about is that it's sort of like uh, Hollywood masturbation, where it's like, oh, a Hollywood movie about how great Hollywood is. But I don't know well, if it's, it's really like that. Of, like the artist and Argo. There's all these films that have come out that are like, oh, yeah. look how great we are, artist. Oh, how wonderful we are. Yeah, but I don't know. I find Emma Stone's character very relatable. How she has the real yeah, but, sense of inadequacy, and you know, yeah, I but, very yeah. often doubts herself, and I think she plays it really well. Ryan Gosling, obviously, his character is a little more flat, and people have a lot of issues with how he white splains jazz. But I don't know. I think that's reading a little more into it than needs to be read into it. And I don't know. I really love Jock Demi movies like uh, The Young Girls of Rush Four, and uh, what's the other one? The Sung Through one about. Uh, well, they're umbrellas. Yes, umbrellas uh, of Cherbourg. Yeah, and I don't know. I really like just the visual style of the movie. I really like the music. I was like obsessed with the soundtrack when it first came out, and I think it's very difficult for movies to have original songs that are actually really catchy and also convey a lot of emotion and also storytelling power. And I think that movie really did it in a very interesting and fascinating way. Like a lot of musicals that come out now are jukebox musicals, where they sort of borrow. Uh, songs that already have a lot of cultural capital, like what's going to happen with the uh, the Queen movie that comes out pretty soon, Bohemian Rhapsody, and there's the Elton John movie that's coming out really soon, and you know, like Mamma Mia and stuff like that. They use songs that already Rock have. Of ages. Yeah, they Rock use songs that have a lot of like people know and they respond to them emotionally because they've heard them before and they can relate it to other times they've heard the songs and stuff like that. But for La La Land, like, all the songs, when I saw it, I had never heard any of them before, but instantly I reacted to them and really enjoyed them and felt deep emotional connections to all of them. So I don't know. I think people short-sell it when they say it's very meh. I cannot remember a single song from it. It completely (laughs) didn't do anything for... But having said that, Whiplash, amazing movie. Amazing. It was my favorite film of that year. So I absolutely am looking forward to First Man. I just because he made one misstep <laughs> with misstep. La La Land. Uh, and Whiplash, yeah. uh, and no you- joke about it. It's about like a drummer in Juilliard, but it's the most intense theater going experience I've ever had. Like more oh, so than like it- Fury, which is set in like a tank, came out the same year, and I was like, this totally shits on Fury in terms of just like being intense and like suspenseful. Well, they say that uh, First Man is like whiplash in space. They yeah. say it's very intense, and it's PG-13, I think, but they say it's pretty grueling. I mean, and, a lot you know, of people a... died in the Apollo program, and apparently yeah. they really uh, get that message across that this was really life or death sort of stuff. And also, I mean, I feel like every film we say, you know, oh, we should go see it in the theater, but this one definitely seems like you want to see it on the big screen with, yeah. for the sound and the, and the visuals. And Oh, yeah. Well, my number one film, I definitely want to see in a theater with an audience. Um, my number one. Half now, of them are going to walk like, out before the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. So even though this film has a 41 on Metacritic and reportedly over 100 people walked out at the premiere at Cannes, is Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built, his two-hour and 32-minute serial killer 
horror film that stars Matt Dillon as uh, the serial killer. It has Uma Thurman, Riley Keough, and Bruno Gantz. That was maybe a mistake. What was maybe a mistake? Me getting in this car with you. You might as well be a serial killer. Sorry, but you do kind of look like one. What can I tell you? I am a Lars von Trier completist lover. I'd say you're a stan. I think that not every single thing he's done has been wonderful, but I think he's done a number of brilliant and some of the best films of the last 25, 30 years. I think that uh, Dance from the Dark is the best film musical of this century so far. I think that he's often given females incredible roles, I, even though people can you know, say that he's misogynist or his films are. I think that you have Bjork... And Dance from the Dark. Charlotte Nicole Gainsbourg. Kidman. Yeah, and uh, all three of his previous films, uh, well, I'm count- counting Nymphomaniac as one, but Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac, and then Kirsten Dunst in Melancholia. And you have uh, Emily Watson's breakthrough role in Breaking the Waves. Um, I think that, that Lars von Trier is one of our great living filmmakers. And yeah, he's a provocateur. Yeah, he likes to stir it up. But I want to see this film and make ju- the, my own judgment. It might be empty uh, provocation. I mean, I don't think Nymphomaniac was his best film, but I think that he's someone you got to deal with and you need to see his films. And, you know, anytime that 100 people walk out of a screening, I'm like, oh, I'm there. I got to see this. And I love the fact on Metacritic that it has reviews ranging from 100 to zero so there are defenders of the movie and then other people that think it's just sick and depraved and misogynist and it's him you know they say that it's a film about uh it's commenting on his own artistry and his own demons and some people find that interesting that he's tackling his own issues and other people think it's just navel gazing and it's just him going deeper down into his own id (laughs) the um but we'll see uh i know that it will be a film that i don't think anyone will hardly go see it because it's coming out right at the height of oscar season and there's no way this movie's getting any oscar nominations and it's barely going to be released in theaters probably but you know it's large century you you know to me it's like if you don't see every one of his films it's like you're not a real film fan that's (laughs) maybe a little snotty but to me he's one of those master filmmakers that you know no matter what the reviews are you got to go see his new film yeah and uh, apparently it can it had like jonathan mentioned a hundred people walk out but apparently it also got a six minute standing ovation at the end of the movie which just shows you just i don't know can the way people do that where they walk out and then tons of people like give it a 10 minute standing ovation i think it's just the snobbiest thing in the world where they think that their reaction to the movie matters so much it's like get a lo- i mean get over yourself like it does your reaction to the movie is not that important just like sit there and like take it and like <laughs> you walking out is not like a huge statement that people will like remember for the rest of their lives and you standing up for six minutes to clap a movie is not as important either i mean i don't know what people are expecting you know if you're going to a two and a half hour Lars von trier serial killer film like what do you expect like of course it's going to be 
dis, you know, disturbing and incredible. Well, I think th- I think they make up their mind to walk out before they even get into the theater. And I think that goes yeah. the same with the people who have the standing ovation at the end. Like, I wonder how long through the movie they're like, I'm going to stand up for six minutes and clap for this movie. Like, is it like uh, the first minute into it? Is it before they even get into the movie theater? Like, how early are there, like, is their judgment of the movie made? Like, I don't know. It's yeah. just one of those things. I, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited uh, to see this. And I, I plan on going on a trip to New York City. Yeah, I doubt the, it's going to be green... playing in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> I know. But I'm going with uh, – I'm my birthday – I was. You, you mentioned Vice comes out on Christmas Day. That's my birthday, Christmas Day. So uh, my mom, my younger brother, and I will, as a family, go see the house that Jack built in theaters. That is very um, much a present to you because I doubt they'd want to do that by themselves. <laughs> well, my, mo- my mom's an absolute saint. We actually went uh, almost two years ago uh, – uh, Christmas, we went up to New York as a family, and the three of us saw three of the best films of the 90s that are all R-rated, violent, profane films that are two hours and 20 minutes or longer. We saw Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, and Boogie Nights as a family, and uh, they had uh, Boogie Nights on Christmas Eve, and you know the film ends with Mark Wahlberg pulling out his giant you know, fake cock. And he says, I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a shooting star. And so in the audience yelled, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. And my mom was like rolling her eyes. And then, uh, on Christmas day, we saw Goodfellas together and it opens with the noise in the trunk and they pull over <laughs> and they open it. And Joe Pesci takes the big butcher knife. He's like, you fucked it. And he starts stabbing <laughs> the guy. And my mom turned to me and that's a pretty good uh, triple feature, at least, with Boogie Nights and, uh, and Goodfellas. As, like, messed up as yeah. most of those movies are. <laughs> oh, yeah. But anyway, we, we're, we're an odd family. We'll go see The House That Jack Built. Not on Christmas, because it doesn't come out till December 28th is the release date. Okay, that would be about as weird of a Christmas movie as you could possibly see. <laughs> Well, we've had some pretty weird Christmas movies because we saw The Wolf of Wall Street together. We saw Jingle I saw that with my dad on Christmas. Also Jingle and Chain with my dad on Christmas. Right, right. (laughs) Well, uh, are there any, um, uh, like, ones that don't have official release dates, but ones that have either played at festivals and should come out early next year or sometime next year that you want to mention as kind of honorable mentions? Uh, Honorable mention, another one coming out this weekend – uh, Bad Times at El Royale, uh, Drew Goddard, the guy who did uh, um, Cabin in the Woods, which Cabin I think is Woods. one of the more interesting horror movies to come out in the last you know 10 or 15 years. Uh, it seems like a cool movie. It's definitely not going to get a whole lot of awards love, and it might not even make a lot of money. But it's got uh, John Hamm and Jeff Bridges and uh, Christopher Hemsworth and Dakota Johnson. And I don't know. That should be a fun time at the movies. Um some other ones coming out. Uh, <laughs> Radigan, the next Terrence Malick movie. Uh, might come out 2018, might come out 2019, might never come out. <laughs> That's just the way it goes with Terrence Malick. But when that comes out, I will be one of the first people to go see it. Um, well, it's uh, – I mean one of the actors the, the died over a year ago and he was the male lead in the original Swedish version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So he's been dead over a year and the, st- the film still hasn't come out. So it's been <laughs> done you know, shooting for a long time and it's been in post-production for I think like over a year or so. 
I, I'm know, glad he's taking he's his time with this one because I think he might have rushed himself a little bit with uh, with the last couple, like Knight of Cups. Yeah, was this, not a great movie. Um, I mean, it's like the guy that went 20 years without making a film. You're like, no, slow down, Terry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're making one more than every five years, the pace is a little bit too breakneck for you. Um, some other ones. Trying well, to think. One, uh, well, one of one of mine is uh, Woody Allen's new film, A Rainy Day in New York, which has an, a rating, so it's like yeah. completely finished. But Timothee Chalamet is starring in it, right? Yeah, it has. Um, Selena Gomez, Elle Fanning, Liv Schreiber, Cherry Jones, uh, Diego Luna has a really incredible cast. And um, because of the Me Too movement, uh, people are not too happy to have a new Woody Allen film come out, even though he's had a film uh, every every year pretty much Mm -hmm. since 1969. And he uh, is 82 years old. But he made a deal with Amazon, and it looks like they're not ever going to release his film. It will probably be sold to another studio and will be released sometime next year. But every film of Woody Allen's, I can't wait to see, even though he's very hit or miss. He is uh, very this, hit or miss. Uh, yeah, but I'm still one of those people. This is going to be really pretentious. But if I had the choice of re-watching his worst film and ever seeing a comic book film again, new or old, I would see his worst movie again like like i you know mm-hmm. his worst one i'd give three out of five stars still. oh i did not like match point i would give that like one out of five match point that's like one of his like three best films in the last 20 years you can think that i right. do not think that <laughs> well they, no people point to match point as like being one of his best films in recent years i would say like vicky Cristina barcelona uh midnight in paris i really like Blue Jasmine, yeah. I mean, I'm so yeah. Those are much his, better like, than Match Point. I really didn't like Match Point. I don't know why you didn't like it. Match Point's great. <laughs> well, I don't it's know. better than La La Land. No, but, it is um, not. There's totally different films, but no, I. I mean, I'm someone that even defends his silly comedies like Hollywood Ending. Like that's just funny. Like I enjoy his films, and I mean, we don't need to get into talking about his personal life, but mm-hmm. I absolutely want to see every new film of his and another one that was going to be released at the end of the year that got pushed to next year is mike lee's new film peterloo and it got kind of not as you know beloved reviews as most of his films uh, do it they say it's kind of long and talky um but it's gonna be released uh early next year and it's um another film by Amazon, but I think they didn't think it was really going to get many Oscar nominations, award nominations. So they decided to give it room to be seen in theaters and release it next year. So Peter Liu would have been definitely in my top five. uh, I was most excited for, but it's got pushed to next year. Also beautiful boy uh, starring Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. It's like an addiction drama. It looks like it's going to be very serious, but I really like Chalamet. I think he's a really good actor, so we'll see how that one turns out. Uh, the Favorite, which Jonathan already saw. I have not yet seen it. I cannot wait to see that movie. Um, I really want to see High Life, the new film by Claire Denis, the French filmmaker who's in her early 70s, and they say that it's really fucked up and violent and sexually charged it's another space film i'm actually more excited for that than first man even though i really do want to see 
First Man, but High Life is a film with Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche. And it's one of those films that I know enough about that I know I don't want to read anything else about it because I just want to see it. They say that that's a film that they had people walk out of the premiere, not not as much as The House That Jack Built, but there was a good walk out of that because they say that it's very disturbing and sexually charged and graphic and also yeah, no, if but, uh, if beale street could talk which was barry jenkins follow-up to moonlight that'll be coming out this year it's an adaptation of a james baldwin novel uh which is sort it's like about a guy in the 1920s who's arrested for racially motivated purposes it seems like that's going to be a really cool movie and i'm interested to see what his uh barry jenkins post moonlight career ends up being like and um, I definitely want to see uh, this. I mean, these are ones that have. Uh, this is one that's come out at film festivals. But uh, I definitely want to see the Wild Pear Tree. It's a new film by the Turkish director Nuri Bilge Silen, and he has another three-hour-plus talky Turkish film. Uh, his previous one, Winter Sleep, won the Palme d'Or a few years ago, and his new film is one of the absolutely best-reviewed films of the year. But it doesn't have an official release date yet. It's like a three-hour and 15-minute Turkish film. But um, his are like very serious, you know, art house crowd movies. But his film, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia, was one of my uh, – that was my second favorite film released in the U.S. that year. So um, when that finally does come out uh, – it's one of those that might end up coming out like in January of next year because it's been – it premiered in May at Cannes. So it's definitely could be released this year. But, you know, sometimes they don't come out till next year. But mm-hmm. – any last-minute uh, ones you want to uh, throw out? Th- I mean, I do want to see Mary Poppins, the new Mary Poppins. <laughs> I, the only reached. thing is I don't know how much cultural cachet Mary Poppins still has. Like, even, like, growing up, like, people our age. Like, I didn't watch Mary Poppins when I was a kid, and, like, none of my friends did. Oh, I did. I mean, yeah. But oh, yeah. Did it be like, Mary you Poppins knew people who watched Mary Poppins? Yeah. I mean, I grew up watching Mary Poppins. It's, I like, one not. of the classic family films. I did not. So I don't oh, know. No, I wonder how have much. Have you ever like, seen it? I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it since then. Yeah. It's but a I just great... wonder how many kids are like familiar with Mary Poppins or are interested in the idea of Mary Poppins. We'll see. But that's definitely not like there are like literally fifty films that are coming out the rest of the year or have played at festivals that I want to see more than that. But I, you know, I just threw that out because that's going to be like a big, you know end of the year mm-hmm. you know a lot of people will see that more people will see that movie than probably like most of our 10 films combined you know I like no probably, one's going to yeah. see the house that jack built and shoplifters and uh you know but you i'm, know, some I'm of the, worried even widows isn't gonna get a whole lot of people to go see it i hope people do but you would think with that diverse cast and it being uh you know an entertaining you know like a crime thriller it, it will I mean, I hope it will get a wide release eventually. It's not going to just be in limited release. Yeah. You would think, right? No, I mean, I would think, but I don't know. It'll probably make its budget back, but I don't think it's going to be like $100 million or anything like that, which is a shame. But well, yeah. Well, even though we're... Even though we're looking forward to the films coming out the rest of the year uh, and beyond, we will come back next week and actually talk about A Star is Born because (laughs) you have seen it. And I'm going to catch up and watch all other uh, four versions of it. So I have five films to see before next time. And uh, how many have you seen now of the five? I've seen the one from 1937, the one from 1954, and the one that just came out last week. Okay, I... 
I'm going to be OCD and watch all of them, starting with What Price Hollywood. And I'm not going to watch What Price Hollywood because people are not considering that one of the Star Is Born movies. So I'm going to honor that. And on, I'm not going to watch on, it. <laughs> on, IMDb, on IMDb, it says that it is the first one. It's the first version of that film. So that is officially the this first version of This is a point of, of contention, and I will stand my ground, and I will not see that movie. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's you don't have to see it for that reason, but you, you could just see it anyway. But uh, like I said before, the first three versions are on Filmstruck, mm. and the new one is in theaters now. It's one of the best reviewed films of the year. Well, definitely. I mean, I've heard people say that it's like the front runner right now to win Best Picture. On that point, just to close out right here, I have in front of me the odds for Best Picture winners for 2019. Do you want to guess what the top ten are? Okay, A Star is Born is one of them. That is number one uh, the, at this point. That the is favorite the is favorite. One. The, favorite the favorite is, is... sixth, yes. Um, is Widows on there? Widows is not anywhere on this list. Okay, because I, I saw someone uh, who often does these lists. Um, let's see, I also would put um, Roma. Roma is number three. Let's see, what else? Um, I would suspect that... Um, Oh, Green Book. Green Book is number four. Yeah, it's by one of the Farrelly brothers who did There's Something About Mary and Kingpin and Dumb and Dumber, and he's made like a more awards-friendly comedy still. Yeah, I had never even heard of it until I saw it on this list. I'm trying to think of this. If Beale Street Could Talk, is that on the list? That's number five. Let's see. Um, I'm going to guess. It's a pretty glaring omission. Yes. (laughs) First First Man is number two right now. Um Let's see. I would also guess uh, Black Panther. Black Panther is number 10. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything that's already come out this year. Is there anything that's – besides Black Panther, is there anything on the list that's already come out? Uh, that I not mentioned? in the top 10. Crazy Rich Asians is 11, which is a okay, little bit surprising me... to me that it's even on this list. Oh, is Black Klansman on there? Black Klansman is not. Oh, it should get. Well, the what there, there's a huge difference between what should and what will. Well, get this nominated. is the betting I, odds. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, well, first reform should be like in the top three that should be nominated, but yeah. that, I hope that gets nominated for Ethan Hawke for best actor and best screenplay for Schrader. It's amazing to me. At that this point, it does not never... even have odds on it. Okay, Paul Schrader has never been nominated for an Oscar. He wrote Taxi Driver. Raging Bull. He directed Hardcore and American Gigolo and Cat People and Affliction. Wrote Affliction. Never been nominated for an Oscar. Like I cannot believe that. But what are the other top ten that I haven't mentioned? Give me one a of, hint. One of them was on my list of top five. I can't remember what you've. I, I don't listen to you. No, no I, uh, what what? Vice. Oh yeah, Vice. Yeah. What else is on? Oh, well, one film I want to see that will probably get nominated for Best Actress is the one where Natalie Portman plays the pop singer Vox Lux, I think mm-hmm. it's called. They, some people are joking that she does a better Lady Gaga performance than Lady Gaga <laughs> this year. But um, what else is in the top ten? Another one is one that I – well, the the remaining two both star Steve Carell. I mentioned one of them earlier. Oh, really? The addiction one? Uh-huh. Beautiful Boy. That's – yeah, that's not gonna get nominated for best picture. I don't think. <laughs> you don't think so? I, like, well, acting it will, but I, I would be surprised if it got. Um, what, what's the other one? Welcome to Marwin. Oh, 
No one's seen that though. People are making predictions. Like yeah. I don't think that's screened anywhere. It's but, plus um, fourteen hundred right now. So if you bet a hundred dollars and it wins Best Picture, you make fourteen hundred dollars. There's no way it's going to win Best Picture, <laughs> but uh, it's by um, Robert Zemeckis who directed yeah. the Back to the Future trilogy and Forrest Gump. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do think that. Um, you know, well, it, I wonder if anything, uh, you know, Roma would only be like the 11th or 12th foreign language film to ever be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's depressing that how many Oscars have there been? Like 90 or something? Since and, 1927, uh, yeah. So like pretty much 90, yeah. Yeah, so, and I think there's been 10 nominees out of all the films that are, and one of the 10 or so was Letters from Iwo Jima, which is a Clint Eastwood film that's it's like yeah, you know, in Japanese really, yeah. but yeah but, does the uh, artist yeah, count as one of those that's interesting if it because it's like it's a silent film but yeah I'm not sure it's a foreign land it's a foreign film but is it a foreign language film but yeah. uh but anyway wait, so have we gone through all the top 10 yeah I'll go through it right now a star is born is the favorite wait, right wait, where now. is this from where where is this from this is I have three different it's going by Betway Betwin and Unibet, which are three different betting houses, and they synthesize the favorites for that. So, A Star Is Born is the highest at plus three fifty. First Man is at plus four hundred. Roma is at plus six hundred. Green Book is at plus eight hundred. If Beale Street Could Talk is at plus twelve hundred. The Favorite is at plus sixteen hundred. Welcome to Marwin is at plus eighteen hundred. Beautiful Boys at plus 2,000, and then Black Panther and Vice are also at plus 2,000. Also, Crazy Rich Asians, which if that gets nominated for Best Picture, I will be absolutely shocked. And that will show that the Academy Awards have sold out to just nominating any movie that gets a lot of box office return. <laughs> no, well, I mean, to me, if Black Panther gets nominated, that's just... I agree with that also, the- yeah. And I, Black I mean, Panther will be nominated, and I think that that is a travesty. Not to say that it wasn't a good movie or an important movie, but it was not one of the ten best movies of this year. I do not need to go on a rant about comic book movies, but I have never hated a film more in my life in a theater than seeing Black Panther. It made my soul die. I just was like, cinema doesn't matter anymore. Everything is just stupid children's comic book movies, and... I like it really is one of the worst theater experiences I've ever had in my life. I just sat there feeling like cinema was dead. Um, but I wouldn't go that some far. Of the, I mean, I, I, was, <laughs> I mean, when you're when you were going when you were going through that top ten, like there is no chance the favorite's going to win Best Picture because it's too messed up and dark. Yeah. But it will probably get nominated just to show uh, that they still but, uh, got some cachet with the sort of artsy movie people. Yeah, like they nominated the Tree of Life for Best Picture, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I and think the, uh, and Mal- Malik might even got a nomination for Best Director. I, I know Malik got – yeah, but that makes me happy because that's yeah. like a giant um, – yeah, but there's a huge difference between what's going to get nominated and what should get nominated. I mean to no me, the, I think it. maybe my favorite film of the year is Jeanette, The Childhood of Joan of Arc, which yeah. nobody saw the uh, – Joan of Arc film that's a rock musical <laughs> and you know but that in first reformed the death of Stalin I hope gets nominated for best adapted screenplay but we can Definitely go into not, more of the yeah. nitty-gritty with uh the Oscar predictions yeah, that like could I said, be its own episode but yeah just a yeah. nice little uh, odds for best picture at this point so, those are going to totally yeah, so change by December and definitely going to totally change by January but just uh, right. an early sort of look at it so yeah, those like were the, our uh, our top five most anticipated movies of this year. To just go back through them, uh, mine were, 
at Eternity's Gate, Vice, Widows, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and First Man. And mine were five, Suspiria, Shoplifters, Roma, Burning, and number one, by a large margin, The House That Jack Built. (laughs) Okay, so thank you for joining us this week for our... uh, talk about the most anticipated movies of next year and i promise next week we will get around to discussing a star is born so join us next week for that five all five versions (laughs) all right so thanks for joining us and we'll catch up with you next time